Let me start this way. Inside every person alive, there is an inbuilt motivation to deeply focus and give devotion to someone or something. Right now, every South African knows what I'm talking about and every British person. Anyway, another word, another word for this deep devotion, another word for this deep focus is a word we know really, really well. It's worship. This motivation to give devotion is actually, it's in our makeup. It's at the very core of our being. It's so deep that we don't even recognize it. Now, let's be really quick and recognize that not everybody worships the God of heaven and earth. El Elohim, Adonai, Jehovah, just to use three of his many names. But when we look with unclouded eyes, we soon recognize that we all worship something or someone in various ways and at varying levels of intensity. Now, it may be sports <laughs> or a sports figure. It may be an entertainer or someone else. It may be a possession or an ability, a mental acuity. It may be an astrological entity. It may be a geological element or a created thing. But right throughout time, all of these things and more have been worshipped. And guess what? They still are today. All cultures worship. Atheists worship. Skeptics worship. Every faith on the planet has worship. Everyone everywhere worships. It is a fundamental drive of life and one of the unique Distinctions of all humanity. Now, we may not all bow down at some kind of altar, but we all have the ability, and in some way or some form at varying levels, we all give deep attention, favor, honor, recognition, and even devotion to something or someone. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has placed eternity in the human heart. One of the explanations of that is quite simple. It's this, that God has put within us a deep sense, a knowing, an awareness that there is more that is beyond our understanding of time, space, or measurable dimensions. And within us is this drive to seek, to find to pay homage to something or someone to worship. As believers and followers of Christ, we're created to glorify God. In actual fact, King David himself wrote this in Psalm, 90, uh, sorry, Psalm 22, sorry, Psalm 29, verse 2. It says this given to the Lord, and I want you to I've highlighted this phrase, the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty or the majesty of his holiness. And so for the next couple of weeks, this week and next week, we're going we're to do a deep dive on this whole subject. But first, this week, we're going to deconstruct it. And next week, we're going to reconstruct it. And so those of you who are taking notes, this message is called this, Worship. Let's pray. Power of heaven, Holy Spirit, you have already 
ministered to us and through us. Lord, you have encouraged us to cast all our cares upon you, such as your love for us. Lord, having done that prophetically, with intention, I'm asking now, Holy Spirit, for a clear atmosphere. Like, I'm literally asking God that you would create an open heaven over this place and over every home and family that's joining us online so that the truth and the magnitude of your word would capture us all. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of truth and revelation. You, you bring insight, but you also convict us. You bring clarity to us, but you don't just leave us hanging. You lead us and you guide us into wholeness and restoration. You comfort us in our discomfort. You provoke us in our comfort. But you do so for the solemn purpose that you want us to know you better than we ever have before. So come do that all this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I stated before that every person on earth worships something or someone in one way or another. And to qualify that statement, allow me to unpack this amazing and this powerful form of expression. I, honestly, I think it's one of the superpowers that God has given humanity. And you know what? Every single one of us have the ability to work this out and to outwork this. The word worship that we use comes from a very, very old English word that I'm not even going to try and say compared to how it's spelt. So before you try to go into linguistic gymnastics, that word is literally said like this. With ship. Next one. Click. There it is. <laughs> so, with all those extra letters and everything, it actually is pronounced with ship. And that word literally means to give something worth to demonstratively attribute value. Now, that whole demonstratively, we're going to unpack that next week. To, to demonstratively attribute value, to give glory to. Now, it's usually and especially to a deity or a God, but not exclusively. You know, you know what? You may not even be aware of some behaviors or even habits that you have to be some form of worship. In actual fact, I can almost hear people going, hey, wait, what? No, I don't. But... Let me help you by deconstructing this a little bit more when we look at this word worship. Remember, it means to give something worth, to demonstratively attribute value to, or to give glory to. And there's a very, a very intentional reason why I've put that set of old-fashioned scales as a background to the slides this morning. Because when we think about attributing value or attributing worth to something... We need to accurately weigh out or to measure the value, the glory, or the worth that we're putting on those things. Now, I can almost hear, almost, in my head, I can almost hear people going, oh, you want us all to be monks and nuns. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I don't have a problem with people having positions or passions. No, not at all. In truth, you know what? 
the more passionate we are, that means the weightier that thing is in our hearts and our minds. And it often, mean, it often means that we give that thing great worth because it is important and it is precious to us. And anyone who knows me knows I can get pretty passionate about some things. I place great worth on some things. Now, also, I want to note here that when I use the word things, I'm not necessarily talking about positions. But even though I am quite an exuberant, passionate sort of guy, I'm also very, very careful how and where I put my passions and how much value, glory, or worth I give those things and how I express that worth out. You see, it is in the allocation or the giving of the worth, the measuring out of the worth, that we actually risk overbalancing the scales. I need to give you another disclaimer this morning. <laughs> There's a lot in here. I, I feel like I must, I must say that when I teach on this today, I do so from a position of unashamedly stating that the highest level of worth, the most precious thing in my life is my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so therefore, as I unpack the subject of worship, of worship, I do so from this point, this viewpoint, because nothing and no one can or should or I hope will ever take a higher place in my life than God himself. And so I am going to be quite Cantabrian about this this morning. I am quite one-eyed that the highest thing of worth in my life is Jesus. <laughs> it's probably a good thing seeing as I do this job. Um, and honey, I, I do love you, but I'm sorry. You are number two to Jesus, okay? <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> we would be. <laughs> so in this process of deconstructing this whole thing about worship and worship. Let's dig a little bit deeper. And you know what? Let's just kind of let's include everything right now. If we're honest, we know there's something terribly wrong with the world that we live in today. We see the symptoms. Selfishness, racism, division, violence, human trafficking, rampant addictions, loneliness, despair, anxiety, and the list goes on and on and on. There is this global search for meaning we look to government leaders, we vote ones out and we vote new ones in because we're hoping to find a redeeming direction of justice and rescue from poverty and uncertainty. But instead, many only ever find dysfunction, disappointment and disillusionment. Our culture has become narcissistic and entitled. What do I mean by that? This is what I mean that our culture and the world itself has grown to love self. The world has placed too much worth on self. And guess what? <laughs> this is not new. <laughs> you know what? It's not even generational. It's actually millennial. And I'm not picking on a certain age group there. I mean, it has gone and it has happened down throughout the millennia. 
Actually, you know what? The love of self didn't, it, it, goes, it, it goes even further back than the Garden of Eden. The love of self literally goes back to the very throne room of heaven to one who served at the throne of God himself. A little bit of theology. In God creating beings throughout what we would call a timeline, but we really have no ability to measure that, there were three beings created. They were called anointed cherubs or archangels. And they literally served at the throne of God at the behest of God himself. Michael is described as the warrior archangel. Gabriel is described as the messenger or the herald. It was Gabriel that brought the news to Mary that she was going to give birth to Jesus. It was Gabriel that brought the response to Daniel after he had been praying for 21 days. But it took him 21 days because the prince power of the air over Persia took him on and he said, you're not getting through. So he called in Michael to give him his hand. Michael douched him over. Gabriel got through. But there was a third one, and we know him as Lucifer, although theologically that was not his name in the throne room. There are some theories around that. One theologian says his name was Raphael. Another one is Tobias. I'm not too sure which one it is. But we know him as Lucifer, and he was given that name when he was cast away, cast out of the actual throne room in the living presence of God. And his job as the archangel, the anointed cherub, was to literally cover the throne of God. Some theologians say that in, through, and from him flowed the music of the throne room. Let me read to you a description of him. And it's coming up on the screen out of Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 17. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze on you. Just a few verses earlier in Ezekiel 28, verse 2, it says this, because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods, you boast that you are God. 
you would have thought he would have learned his lesson that his love of self actually had him removed from the throne room of heaven. But guess what? He took it further. He, he was this created being, the anointed cherub, but he came, became so unbalanced in his pride. You, we could say he was so full of himself. Full of his own worth. Full of his own being. More so than he should. Was he majestic? Oh my goodness, he was majestic. Was he favoured by God? Yes, he was. Did he have this magnificent, wonderful position and role? Yes, he did. But he let it go to his head. And it sunk into his heart. And it infected his heart. And like I said, you would have thought he would have learned his lesson. But guess what? He took it to earth with him. And one of the first conversations that we have recorded that he ever had was in the garden in Eden with Eve. And this is what he said in Genesis 3.5. God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. You will be like God. Knowing both good and evil. He wasn't satisfied with his own demise. He wanted to take the world out. It was right there where self-help and self-love first took root in humanity. I've heard so many people over the years who know I'm a believer who quote, quote the Bible to me. And they say, doesn't God say God helps those who help themselves? <laughs> That's not in the Bible. There are a lot of examples of those who help themselves. God helps them out. <laughs> Or he'll help them in with repentance. I did, a, I did a Google search. I thought, I wonder how rampant self-help and self-love has become. So I typed in the Google search, self-help books. In 0.53 of a second, it said there were 4,490 million results. It took 0.53 of a second. It's alive and well, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Let's not throw this all out as bad, okay? Because remember, we're talking about placing worth on something. There is much that we can actually learn and there is much that we can actually do that is good where we can actually help ourselves. And I remember a time when I was having a two-year-old pity party and my beloved wife came to me with the word of the Lord and she said, for goodness sake, get over yourself. Remember, an overprescription of self-worthship is actually destructive. It's all about the worth. It's all about the scale and what is the most important. See, self-help cannot help the sickness of humanity because it cannot be trusted in times of trouble. Because why? It looks to self. Self cannot be anchored in a place of hopelessness or a bridge in division. Why? Because self looks to self. Self-love cannot provide compassion, kindness, community, or rest. Why? Because self-love is more important, is more focused on me, on self. Self-will, self-confidence, self-direction, they're not enough. Why? Because at the core of self is our heart, and worship or worship is a heart issue. 
Jesus would teach people using parables, and one of the most famous parables, I guess, is the, the parable of the, 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 the sower and the seed. And he teaches a parable about a farmer sowing seed, and, and he describes how the seed lands on different places, and what happens with that seed landing on the different places. It's in Matthew 13. I'm not going to give you the whole parable. But afterwards, the disciples came to him and said, can you just unpack that for us, please? And so he did. He gave them the full meaning, but he did not give the full meaning to everyone else. Remember, it's about a heart issue. In Matthew 13, verse 15, it says this, For the hearts of those people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. How sad. How incredibly sad. We wonder why we can't see what God's doing. It's not an eye issue, it's a heart issue. We wonder why we can't hear God speaking. It's not an ear issue, it's a heart issue. It's, we wonder why we can't understand what God is doing. It's not a mind issue, it's a heart issue. We wonder why we can't turn away from sin and we can't, we can't find healing and hope. It's because it's a heart issue. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, I'm going to read you this same verse out of three different translations of the Bible. And each one drills just that little bit deeper. And I'm going to have all three on the screen so you can see this. Out of the New Living Translation, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Same verse out of the complete Jewish Bible, above else, or above everything else, guard your heart, for it is the source of life's what? Consequences. The Passion Translation has this so, above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. So if you're wondering what your course of your life is, if it's off track, that's a heart issue. If you're wondering the source of stuff that's happening around you, it's a heart issue. If you're wondering why everything is affecting you the way it's affecting you, then the heart issue is to find out what's the affection of your heart. We must guard our hearts and, you know, there, there, are, there are steps where this hardened heart happens. And I want to read to you a story of what happened to Jesus when he went home to his own village. Mark 6, 1 to 3. Jesus let that part of the, left that part of the country and he returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue and many heard him and were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then... Very, very important word. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Even his sisters live right here amongst us. They were deeply offended, and they refused to believe in him. Is it wrong to be amazed? No. We just sung a song, open up my eyes in wonder. Is it wrong to question? Not at all. Being amazed and questioning is fine 
as it, if, if, if the purpose of our questioning leads us into a deeper understanding of God. But it's at this point where the breakdown happens because they just went and they started to scoff. And in their scoffing, they took an offense. How can a carpenter's son teach us of the law of God? Who does he think he is? Guess what? That Kiwi tall poppy syndrome? It was in Nazareth. And because they scoffed and they took on offense, they refused to receive anything from him. The breakdown was this, that they put more worth on their own understanding and what they believed than the truth. They put more worth on self. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, this is literally the first scripture that my father ever taught me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. Do not depend on your own understanding. Because guess what? Our own understanding is going to lead us up the garden path. We cannot allow our hearts to harden towards God. The moment we begin to give more worth to other things than the truth of God and God himself, we're in trouble. Because guess why? See, pure truth with a capital T is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It never changes. Truth with a capital T is a person. His name is Jesus. Worship team, would you come and join me, please? As you came in this morning, um, there was a table set up that had our, had, had our um, COVID-friendly communion emblems. <laughs> well, no, actually, no, they're not COVID-friendly. They're COVID-preventing. <laughs> with the double-tier tab, if, if, if you're not familiar with these, there is a, a clearish tear tab on the top which you peel it off and there's a wafer on the top and then the second one peels off the foil and there's the, uh, the grape juice in the cup. If you didn't get one of those, could you just, just lift up your hand and, and the, the serving team will, will come and make sure that you've got them. Okay, they're just grabbing some trays now to do that. So yeah, just, just if you haven't got one, just stand down here, Janine, and there was some up the back. And over to right here. All right. If you're joining us at home, you might want to uh, grab, grab some bread and juice or something so that you can share in this time of communion as well. So I've been deconstructing worship or worship. I've been talking about how we weigh or weight the things that are important by placing worth in the right place and placing the right amount of worth on the right thing. So coming from where I'm coming from, the most important, not a thing, but the most important person to put the most amount of worth on is obviously Jesus. And so where do I start in my way of putting worthship back in its right place? In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made, pardon me, right with God, 
And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Uh, these symbols that we hold in our hands, the, the wafer on the top, this is a symbol of the broken body of Jesus Christ. And uh, I'll, I'll explain that in a second, how Jesus put this across. And the juice in the cup is a symbol of his blood that was literally poured out for us when he was tortured and then hung on the cross. Now, these symbols are indications of how much worth God put on you. So great was his love for us that he sent his only son, like literally his only begotten son. Because the sin of the world carried a blood price. And down throughout the Old Testament, every time there was a blood sacrifice of an animal or a bird, that blood sacrifice down throughout time, literally it, it covered the sin of the people, but it never removed the sin of the people. But that scripture I read out just before we did that, we sung that song Unrivaled, a blood price was required. And so God himself had to take on human form so he could die as a human with the power of heaven, he was fully God and fully man. And through that blood price that he paid, sin wasn't just covered, sin was removed. And these symbols are a remembrance point. In Matthew 26, we, we might know it as the Last Supper. Jesus gathered his disciples around him and he sat around a table and they had a meal together. And at a certain part of the meal, this is what it says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. And then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said to each of them, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. That blood covenant that actually started right back at the garden in Eden. When God himself killed an animal, shed the blood of the animal so that he could use the pelt of that animal to cover the sin and the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And it says here in verse 28, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sin of many. What worth do you put on your eternal salvation. Over the next week, I want to encourage you to run a heart check. I want to give you three questions and then we're going to share together of this, these communion emblems. Here's the first question. What or who am I placing worth on? What or who holds the highest worth in my life? Here's the third one. Does this highest worth actually hold any eternal value? 